0: Back on another it is uh 1300 one o'clock 1300 is what i meant to say for you military types uh the 6th of july 2022 uh, unfortunately hate to give the the. my heart goes out to again but it seems like that's just common conversation now to the poor folks in uh illinois um yeah i'm not gonna get any of that but it's for whatever it's worth prayers that type of thing um Anyway, moving on. So uh, lots of moving parts going on this week. I'm going to start this one off a little differently than I normally do. Normally, I jump right into let's go see what fun stuff I can find on the Internet that would be pwnable potentially. And then go through some articles this week because there's been some other things going on. I'm going to flip the script a little bit and go through a few of the things that are uh, newsworthy that are affected and prove a different story when you look at what's going on with what they're publicly exposed to. So let's start with um, one of the, the ones that's interesting. So there was a there was a story a billion records, right? Human error blame for leak of one billion records of Chinese citizens now don't live in China, but definitely of interest that this is such a large leak. Um, the a developer appears to have divulged credentials to a police database. On a popular developer forum leading to a breach and subsequent bid to sell 23 terabytes of personal data on the dark web a prominent chinese tech ceo has cited human errors likely reason hackers got their hands on personal data of a billion people um number one it's pretty staggering that there's a billion people in a police database but it's china so there's a lot of folks there uh and then the f- the way that this whole thing went forward i don't know that i would even necessarily say this was human error or as much as it was a lack of really useful or decent management of what should have occurred. So a government developer wrote a blog post, and this is by Elizabeth Montalbano on Threat Post on the China software developer network, CSDN, that accidentally included the credentials of the system where the data was stored. All time bonehead move. Um, Zhao Changpeng, CEO of cryptocurrency exchange, Binance said on Twitter Monday, CSDN is one of the largest developer networks in China, again, all-time bonehead moves can't even imagine how that came to play but let's just table that for now apparently this exploit happened because the government developer wrote a tech blog on CSDN and accidentally included the credentials again good lord um chang Peng, who goes colloquial and on twitter by the moniker cz wrote in a tweet his post included a screenshot of the offending code so i hope he didn't think he was doing something cool and screenshotted this with the actual password and username out there. Again, I haven't seen it, but that's always possible. Um, he talked about his threat intelligence team detected a billion records for selling dark web, likely culprit for the leak, uh, bug in Elasticsearch, blah, blah, blah. Um, da, 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 da. So going further here, this is where it gets a little bit crazy um, is the amount of things going on. So this is this is the, the sticking point, human error in play. Indeed, the breach again, shines light on the most persistent security issues since the inception of computers and internet human error. In fact, in the Debra, the Debra says that human error is responsible for 82. I've actually seen statistics say it's up to 95% of all the breaches analyzed over the past X number of years. Some people overseeing sensitive data still can't seem to be trusted to protect it. Wonder if there's a strategy that deals with that reality. Wonder what that would possibly be called. The incident once again demonstrates that companies need to take numerous steps beyond password protection systems to store data to ensure it doesn't fall in the wrong hands. Noted security professional. Okay, super. Um, This is the end result of a catastrophic failure to implement basic password management, secrets management. Yes, Um, and co-founder of software security keeper. Blah blah blah. Secrets such as database credentials should never be hard coded into source code. Yes, which is what caused this breach. That's where I'm trying to make the point here: is that this was not a human error per se. This was a management error. This was a lack of good IT security or even basic IT security. And this was a failure of the individuals who are responsible for configuring and managing the system. Developers develop code. It's unfair for us in the security space to ask developers to be security people too, or HR people or finance people or anyone else who's not a security person. The technology to solve this problem unequivocally exists right now on the market. This, Type of thing is an inexcusable uh example of w- of what happens to, way too often. Uh incident also appears to flip the script on China, a country well known as one of the biggest perpetrators of cybercrime. Typically, China tends to be the actor, the one doing the criminal stuff behind criminal activity, not the victim of it. Although, admittedly, it's difficult to know how often Chinese citizens themselves are targeted due to the lack of transparency, et cetera, et cetera. But in a country where the government that notoriously collects mountains of data about its own citizens while imposing tight restrictions on what data and resources they themselves can access and use, it's not surprising that this data would eventually fall into criminals' hands. Which brings me to another point. If you take in data, you're responsible for the care and feeding of the monster that cares for that data or keeps that data where it is. When governments are taking in massive amounts of data like this and they're not care and feeding of that, who's responsible or liable. Now in China, they can do something where they'll just basically figure out who did the wrong thing. And I don't know, put them on a trebuchet and launch them into the sun or something because that's just how they operate. But in other countries, who's liable for this? Is it this individual that screwed up and posted it? Is it the fact that the government organization that should have been managing this was set up for failure? Um, Is it the CISO? Is it the CIO? There's this continual chain of failure, who winds up being liable for it? We don't have a good answer to that yet. Uh, and this this sort of stuff continues going on. I'm going to prove some more of this in just a second. So now the CyberWire had a really interesting article um, from Moody's. The actual report is out there. Moody's investor services. Uh, if you're not familiar with what these folks are, they do credit ratings and those types of things. Um, but this is the interesting point. So. Moody's Investor Service released a a report detailing the credit implications of Conti's, which is the ransomware gang, early April ransomware attack on the government of Costa Rica. If you're not familiar with what's going on there, Costa Rica basically came out with a strategy thing that they published and said, this is what we're going to do. Then they didn't do it. Then they got their ass handed to them and the ransomware guys have been eating their lunch for a while. The attack impacted the government's two largest revenue streams, income taxes and customs duties, Mm -hmm. and impacted the international trade and healthcare sectors heavily. The report notes that this attack provides insights on the government's strengths, saying that while the attacks weren't prevented, they were handled with effective solutions. I would not necessarily disagree with that, but I would also say that that's not a good way to look at this. I mean, they fucked up, to be perfectly frank. Um, but did they handle it well-ish? I mean, they handled it better than total abject failure, but to say that they handled it effectively, uh, I don't know that I would agree with that. Moody's anticipates the fiscal deficit to remain close to 4.8% of the GDP for Costa Rica. That's staggering and expects to see GDP growth of only 4% in 2022. Now, for a a country, a nation like that to take that big of a hit, that's a giant kick in the nuts or whatever parts. But that's really significant. So anyone that talks about the impact of this stuff, there it is for you. And this is from an analytics firm that does money and everything else. In another report, Moody, and I'll put the reports in the link to this, Moody's discusses the recent cyber attack on Clarion Housing Group, (CHG) in the United Kingdom, and its implications for housing associations as a whole. On June 23rd, Clarion reported a cyber attack on their IT systems and impacted operations such as scheduling, repairs, and maintenance. This attack comes on the heels of a number of other cyber attacks on housing associations in the past few years and highlights the need for risk mitigation. According to a recent study conducted, conducted by Moody's, risk remains small in the housing sector, but it's growing strongly. So these are indications that there are significant financial impacts. So these are not done by a vendor. These are not reports that are written by uh, Ponemon or whatever else. This is a firm that does dollars and cents, nickels and dimes, insurance, that stuff. And they're saying, look, if you take this type of hit, your GDP, depending on if you're a country or not, could be affected by four, four 4.85%, just call it 5%. Staggering. Right. And people continue to ignore this and say, well, is it real? Is it going to cause an impact? Is this a-? would you be willing to take a GDP hit of five percent? Look at what's going on with the U.S. right now, our projected growth. If you look at the numbers I saw this morning, say so we're looking at two point one percent, which is not good. Imagine if we took a four percent hit on GDP because of some sort of mis- misconfiguration mega issue in cyber. Like you could send an economy crumbling to the ground. Staggering. Now, uh, DOD, this is where I want to get into flipping the script instead of normally I do the, the fun stuff first. I'm going to do it second here. But So this is published on the record by Recorded Future, which publishes a lot of great material. Martin uh, Matashak, I believe is how you said the name. If I got it wrong, I apologize. July 5th, 2022. DOD issues call for hackers to dig into their networks. Now keep that in mind. The DOD is offering monetary awards, to ethical hackers who discover critical or severe vulnerabilities on the massive agencies networks They have this hack us program, vulnerability, disclosure pilot effort kicked off with 110,000 bucks up for grabs. Researchers receive a thousand dollars for each flaw. They find and report and $500 for any high severity weaknesses they uncover. Hackers can also earn $3,000 for the DOD calls additional special categories, as well as a grand prize bonus of $5,000. Okay, fine. Um, year-long bug bounty, foreign valuable. Now, here's where things go bonkers and I, maybe I need the DOD to send me a check. So here's a program from the DOD that's put together by a bunch of muckety mucks that says go off and go after DOD instances, find vulnerabilities, etc., cetera, et cetera. Now, if you read through the whole thing, it's not really specific on some of the ins and outs of what's going on with this. So I thought, because again, they've changed the laws and you can do these types of things and I'm not doing anything illegal, what if I go see what's available that I could scratch at that's on the .gov, .mil or .dod sort of area? Didn't think I'd find that type of, this type of really vulnerable stuff. Let me read through some of these. And again, I'm not gonna put the stuff out there that would get me in deep doo-doo, but I will point out some of these uh, that are, I think I should get a check for, to be perfectly frank. So. Doing a very crafted search, poking at the right things and tickling the right electrons, I found stuff that is .gov domain, U.S. registry, and this one is for the Department of State, U.S. Department of State. Now the question is, what does the U.S. Department of State do? I don't know why my voice went so high there. Oh, well, the Department of State does things like works with other nations and all these other cool kinds of crazy stuff, and they have access to all kinds of crazy classified environments, and they even work with Langley. Well, guess what? I've got a look at three servers that are LDAP for the Department of State. I'm looking at them right now. Uh, these are not honeypots unless they're really poorly put together honeypots. but there it is, LDAP directory state.gov US. So there's one, so I see one, two, three. So does that mean I get $9,000 for that? Um, anyway, I'm keeping a running tab. So let's just call that nine grand. Uh, another one, which is, let's go a little further into this. Another one doing a similar crafted query with a couple of other little tickle tickles out there, uh, .gov.mil.dod type stuff, uh, U.S. national aeronautics and space administration, NASA, NASA does pretty interesting things. Wonder what we could find around NASA. Okay. Here's certs for an LDAP server, more LDAP stuff and more LDAP. If you're not familiar with LDAP, look that up. You shouldn't be able to get to that with doing a couple of pokes on the internet. Um, So there's one, two, three, four, five, six. So that's six times three. It's called 18 grand plus the other nine. So 27 grand. Uh, I see public directory stuff. So that's maybe we can write that one off. Uh, and then I see test, which means there's probably things in there that are being tested. Problematic. Uh, okay. And then one more, because this is part of the problem is if you're looking at big gov, right? What about cloud? What about all the hooks in there? And then there's no way that you can go from cloud stuff to legacy things or whatever else. And I, I actually was a little freaked out when I found this because it, made my skin crawl and I got a little sweaty just looking at it, but um doing a very crafted query. I'm looking for remote uh, RDP sessions. 3389 is the port that's going from one thing to another. And I'm not going to get myself in trouble there between uh, cloud stuff and government things. So let's just leave it at that. Now I found 21 of those and within those 21, um, I see one, two, that have cia.gov, cloud.cia.gov, along with FQDNs and all kinds of other stuff, NetBIOS, Resolvers, NTLM, Windows Server 2019. Yeah, so does that qualify for a bug payout? Because that would be substantial. I think that's a five grander if you ask me, because this is um, interesting. So there's those. These other ones, which there are one, two, there's 21 of them. Um, Within those 21, here's an admin login. uh, Here's another admin login. And just because it's whatever, let's go see what this last one is here. Uh, RDP admin login, RDP admin login. Uh, uh, Kentucky stateofkentucky.gov. So state, not just federal. Um, I'm not gonna even look at what that one is, but there's those. And then two more points I wanna make. So um, state and local is even worse than federal, but there's no bug bounties from state and local because they can't afford it. Doing a very crafted query, looking for the right things. This afternoon, .gov, country United States, org, Illinois, because I saw Illinois bouncing around and other stuff. I'm looking at three, state of Illinois, that are login that are remote enabled, uh, that all go to applications that are running. That do one does pollution control, and the others do revenue handling for the state. I would think that that's probably important to the state. You might want to handle that revenue stuff. And again, like I always do, I will send every organization here screenshots and say this is whatever. They'll send me a cease and desist letter and nastygrams and whatever, but it is what it is. Okay, so just know that. So I think. I think i made 30 grand on this call would be would be super cool anyway I'm, i don't care about the money i'm just joking around I'm just saying that's that's part of the issue now follow on to that uh there's this article that was published about napa valley community college i believe right napa valley college recovering after june ransomware attack so they got attacked by ransomware last month Almost a month after cyber attack, the college shut down its website and various other systems. The public community college has recovered phones, email and other functions while using in-person workarounds for others. The Napa Valley College website and network system have been coming back online this week after being shut down by ransomware attack in early June. Now keep that in mind because I'm gonna do something here in a second. Um, Napa Valley, they're coming back online, right? They've reconfigured, they've changed things. Keep that in mind. The site previously vanished from the internet on before June 10th when NBC officials first announced disruption. Employee email accounts are back online. Remember that I just read you that their email accounts are back online. They've changed things. They've reconfigured. They're better off than they were. Remember that some systems such as self-service portal, whatever else, are still becoming coming back around. Now you would say that because these, this college took the time to go off and do a fucking press release and say, we're coming back online and we've reconfigured, we're better off than we were in the past, that they would have those things bolted up pretty tight. So, I went looking for if I could tickle some electrons and find some interesting stuff uh and that's related to Napa Valley and here they are, Napa Valley education there's their cert and here is remember I said their email server was back online, here's the email server. So, there it is, mail. I'm not going to give that stuff out cuz I want to get myself, but there's this SMTP mail server relays etc cetera, etc cetera. everything's up and cooking easy peasy limit, squeezy. Uh, and that's as of today's date, and it's right there. And it's got non-standard ports open on it, which is an easy giveaway. So the point is, did they really fix anything or are they just re things and coming back online? And yeah. So there's that one. Now, last one I want to read through because I like to get people back to doing other stuff instead of listening to me, is Marriott. Marriott just got breached again. Um And I want to cover this because Marriott got people talk about fines, changing behavior and fines being significant or whatever. Let me just read through this real quick. So Marriott's been fined 18.4 million pounds, which is 24-ish million dollars for an attack in 2020. Uh, They were also fined 124 million dollars for a GDPR breach. Um, And then they were fined again. So they've probably been fined to the tune of a couple hundred million dollars over the course of the last X number of years, they've been breached six times in the last X number of years. Now that should take care of Marriott and they should be whatever they got breached again. And there there's a twist to this. So I'll get to that in a second. But when you go off and do some internet tickling to find things on Marriott.com or Marriott's affiliates and apps and whatever else, it's not really hard to find vulnerable stuff for them. Um, And it's a big organization, multinational, lots of vendors, um you know interesting things but this is where you can see some changes that need to occur uh if you do the right tickles and you look for the right things you will see that there are um application vulnerabilities for marriott.com that are present right now i see 37 to 40 of them 27 of those in the united states eight in japan two in the netherlands and one another random one but there they are so can i get to marriott Interesting stuff through there, maybe possibly, but should I be able to find this level of things this easily when someone's been fined hundreds of millions of dollars? I wouldn't think so, but here we are. Now, I did say that there was a twist in this Marriott piece, and this is what I think is actually worth noting. I mean, they're a big global organization. They're never, it's a ZT thing, right, assume breach. I I would expect them to have breaches take place. but this is where things get interesting. So the, the bad guys went after them. It says how they get in with social engineering and quarter statements that Marriott made to data breaches, which is the article that published this. The attackers use social engineering to access a single employee's computer. Okay. Marriott said they have no evidence the criminals access files beyond what the person they tricked had access to. And they said they contained the breach within six hours. Now, I don't know that that's entirely true yet but what I do think is interesting is here you have an organization that before had two huge breaches and it basically was Katie bar the door gets everything all the time because of the way that they had access lined up and because of the vulnerabilities that were present in their access management system here, if this is true. And again, I take this with a grain of salt because this was reported, um, today that Marriott's really coming back fast and saying that this wasn't a thing. If they did that correctly, then they did a really good job of isolating, containing, and they responded quickly and they did well. Um, Marriott said they think this employee only had access to about three or 400 people's information and they should be limiting that down. So the point to take away here is Marriott's a great, big, giant global organization. They probably have lots of contractors and third parties and application developers and many, many moving parts. And this is a nightmare to try and secure. So I sympathize, empathize with them there. Um, however, there's vulnerabilities that are out there on the internet that they should probably look at or go to. And this is why I continue to, to go to my things that I've played with the federal government and the other stuff to say, look, you should set up a task force to go off and scan and do these types of things and force patches and pushes and whatever else. And we would solve a lot of problems, but here we are. However, if this is correct, that this is how Marriott actually handled this and they had the system set up this way in this manner it proves that having good isolation control taking care of access management those types of things can limit the scope of a breach i mean 20 gigs of all the stuff that marriott's got and 400 accounts probably not the end of days and they can pay for that breach. i mean they obviously can pay a couple hundred million dollars for breach fines all day long so is it really that bad um you know i think that that's interesting to, to point out anyway so there's some good and some bad and some new stuff. It's, uh, it's, it still continues to be, you know, different flavors of the same failure. However, I think if this Marriott thing proves out the way that they're saying it happened, that's a good example of a large organization that did something right and was able to limit the scope of a breach and maintain positive command and control of that infrastructure when things went wrong. Are they perfect? No. Is anybody perfect? No. Could anybody get breached every day, all day? Absolutely, 1,000%. However, can you deal with it? Can you respond? Can you recover? That's part of the whole thing as well. Uh, Anyway, like I said, I'll throw links to that stuff into this at the end of it. Um, I don't want to take up a whole lot more time because we could go down other rabbit holes. But there you have it in 24-ish minutes on the 6th of July uh, that this is what it looks like. This is the type of stuff that we're dealing with and more proof that it's uh it's not necessarily a million times better but maybe there's some progress maybe i don't know if marriott can do something right a lot of organizations probably could anyway above all stay smart stay safe stay secure see you on the next one Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.